Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 104 of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, we take a deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds each week for a compliance or compliance-related topic. If you've ever thought about starting a podcast but didn't know where to begin, let me help you as the Compliance Podcast Network is always looking to expand its podcast offerings. If you wondered what you would need to do to start a podcast, listen to a message from our sponsor today, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. Today, Matt and I take up a sideline from the Les Moonves CBS scandal that he wrote about in a radical compliance posting called CBS Compliance and Culture Under Fire, where we take a look at the settlement of a retaliation case filed by Eliza Dushka against CBS Entertainment for sexual harassment she reported involving the star of the show Bull, Michael Weatherly. It's a fascinating exploration of both corporate culture gone wrong and structural problems in a compliance function. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly, not only the coolest guy in compliance, but founder and editor of Radical Compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive into a compliance topic each week. So this involves the ongoing saga, uh, even ongoing as of today, of CBS. It's now former CEO Les Moonves and the rampant sexual harassment that not only he engaged in, but apparently there was a culture of uh, sexual harassment at uh, CBS News, uh, production companies, um, and entertainment. And um, there was an article that the New York Times uh, wrote out about, or article they published rather last weekend, that detailed sexual harassment on one of the uh, CBS shows, Bull, starring Michael Weatherly. Uh, Matt had a chance to read this article, but then he got some commentary from Uh, no doubt fans of uh, Compliance Into the Weeds. So, Matt, uh, why don't you take it from there? Yeah, sure. So this was um, yet another, like you said, Tom, the the latest chapter, the latest episode, I suppose, in the long-running drama now of CBS, its now former CEO, Les Moonves, and uh, the sexual harassment and retaliation culture that apparently he – fostered and engaged in himself personally, uh, so it seems, uh, while he had been CEO at CBS for, I think, 23 years, from 1995 right up until September. Uh, This story talked about some harassment and retaliation accusations flying back and forth between actress Eliza Dushku, who was on three episodes of Bull in September of 2016, and the star of the show, Michael Weatherly, most people might know him as he played that character, Anthony Dinozo, on NCIS, which was a very good show for a long time. Um, and now he is the starring character in this new show called Bull. Originally, Eliza Dushku was going to be a series regular and for at least four seasons, possibly to become a love interest for the main character uh, that remained unclear. But her contract was for three episodes at least 
with the understanding that her character would then become a regular for four seasons. Then what happens is that uh, Michael Weatherly apparently on set made some sexually offensive remarks uh, either to Dushku or in her presence or, you know, various other kind of allegations like that. We've heard of these sort of things many times before, uh, but he made those sexually offensive statements to Dushku. So she went to the showrunner, uh, a man by the name, I believe, of Glenn Karen, and she told him about this. Glenn Karen, the showrunner, said, go to Michael Weatherly, tell him your concerns. He'll probably apologize, be mortified, and move on. So she did tell Michael Weatherly, your comments were offensive. He allegedly apologized to her. Then we get into some murkiness here is that apparently uh, Weatherly called the showrunner and CBS back to express some concerns that Elijah Dusku didn't really get a sense of humor. We're not exactly clear on what conversations might have happened between Michael Weatherly and CBS, but immediately thereafter, Dushku was written down from being a series regular to a recurring character, sometimes on, sometimes off, but the big mainstay that she was supposed to get uh, that wasn't going to be happening. And so Dushku decided she did not want to be a recurring character, and so they wrote her off completely. Uh, that was probably around the end of 2017. So she, or I'm sorry, the end of 2016, early 2017, she considered some litigation uh, against CBS for whistleblower retaliation. Rather than litigation, she and CBS agreed to mitigation or mediation. I'm sorry. Uh, they agreed to mediation. And in January of this year, so several months after uh, Harvey Weinstein's demise broke, Matt Lauer getting fired from CBS, Charlie Rose getting fired from CBS, several months after those things blew up at the end of 2017, um, CBS agree reached this uh, arrangement with Dushku in early 2018. They paid her $9.5 million. It was a confidential settlement. Um, and the $9.5 million is roughly what she would have made had she fulfilled the original contract plans to be a series regular for four years. So really, people might mistakenly say this is a lawsuit over sexual harassment. I, I don't really think that's accurate. This is more a complaint Dushku had against CBS for retaliation. She spoke up. I think Michael Weatherly is kind of gross. And then they wrote her off of what would have been a very lucrative show. So she went into mediation with CBS and they offered her the $9.5 which pretty much made her whole from a contract perspective. Although this was a big show. This was going to really reset her career, which was off and on for the last 20 years. And she's very successful, but not a huge star. This could have made her a huge star. She spoke up. She lost her job. It's a retaliation thing. And that's I'll stop there. But that's the, the backstory so far. So on the uh, retaliation thing or the uh, claim of sexual harassment, just uh, let me throw in some weeds from the legal perspective. Both um, Ardusku uh, uh, is a part of equity. And as a part of equity, she has access to a dispute resolution process uh, for exactly this type of situation. Uh, it can be uh, as you know, screenwriting credits. It can be actors being written out of uh, screens, scripts, or even entire stories. So there's a, a fairly widely known and well-used uh, mediation and alternative dispute resolution process 
uh, that equity actor, actors can take advantage of going forward. So it sounds like to me she took advantage of a legal right she had as a member of Actors Equity and uh, move forward in a confidential, uh, excuse me, a, a non-public uh, mediation uh, slash alternative dispute re- resolution route, which uh, ended in a confidential settlement. Mm-hmm. And I, I should say now, that's all the backstory. We haven't even gotten to the juicy stuff for compliance. <laughs> right. So let me get to that, is that yes. um, in the mediation that was happening, CBS's chief compliance officer, whose name is Mark Engstrom, he showed outtakes from the set that had featured Dushku swearing. And, you know, I think the logic there was that he was trying to show Dushku, see, you're just as, you know, temperamental or sensitive as any other actor is. Here's some photos or some outtakes of you misbehaving on the set with foul language. Engstrom failed to grasp that in the background of these outtakes were the exact sort of harassment behaviors that Dushku was talking about. Um, I don't know. Now, we have not seen these outtakes. These have not become public. We don't know exactly what this harassing behavior was that was documented on the outtakes. Was it Weatherly himself, which were several of Dushku's complaints? Was it other CBS um, and Amblin Entertainment? Was it other employees who kind of took their cues from Michael Weatherly and then also were making some off-color and gross remarks to Dushku? We don't know any of that. But what we do know is that the chief compliance officer, Engstrom, was trying to, I guess, maybe discredit or intimidate Dushku with these outtakes, see, you're swearing, and he didn't even recognize that the outtakes were documenting the harassment behavior that Dushku had been complaining about in the first place. All of this is public because uh, Les Moonves, president of CBS, we have to get back to him now, um, you know, that he had been under investigation for all of this sort of harassment culture. So an outside law firm was hired by CBS's board. They were documenting all of these behaviors. They documented this Dushku incident and Mark Engstrom's apparent you know, mistake or absent-mindedness. Uh, when he had the outtakes, he gave them off to Dushku, and then suddenly she had CBS by the short hairs because they documented the harassment. Um, all of this had been investigated. All of this was in a long investigation report that the outside counsel had drafted, prepared by none other than Mary Jo White, former chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, who is now a partner at the firm of Debevoy and Plimpton, and she was the one working with CBS. So, you know, talk about bringing star power to this story, man. We, we've got people from all over walks of regulatory compliance life showing up in this tale. Um, but that memo leaked to the New York Times, and that's how we know all of this. And that is where uh, this is a direct quote from the investigators including Mary Jo White and her firm, looking at all of the misconduct at CBS. They had this to say about Mark Engstrom. Um, Although the outside investigators praised Mr. Engstrom for his, quote, tremendous institutional knowledge, end quote, and described him as a very smart and capable lawyer, they said the company's failure to recognize the instances of harassment caught on tape was a symptom of the larger problems at CBS. And then, of course, Mr. Engstrom declined to comment to The New York Times. Um, so that's that, that's how we bring the compliance function into all of this mess, um, that they really were viewing this more as a legal matter 
And what did the lawyers want to do? Reduce liability for the company, period. So to a certain extent, I don't fault Mr. Angstrom for trying to do this because as a lawyer who's chief of labor relations at CBS, which was his other title, um, I'm not surprised he might try to do something like that. For, but for an ethics and compliance officer trying to cultivate a spirit of good conduct and a speak-up culture, this shows yet again that that mission and the corporate defense lawyer's mission are occasionally incompatible. And trying to stuff them into one function or even one person, you wind up with these very difficult situations, and here we are. So it seems to me, Matt, you've articulated two major concerns. One is the culture at CBS, which allowed this type of behavior to occur, uh, if not on set, at least in a place where it was filmed or recorded. Uh, the second is structural, that the chief compliance officer uh, is one and the same uh, with a lawyer uh, under the general counsel's office, here the head of corporate labor relations or human resources. And uh, both of those problems uh, came together uh, with a lawyer in a dispute resolution and a resolution attempting, a disputed resolution attempting to be uh, mediated or resolved, trying to bring evidence to bear uh, one way or another to help his client's case. And uh, it is just... Uh, Fairly phenomenal, I would say, that uh, <clears throat> in the middle of a mediation that uh, uh, he would drop evidence that would hurt his client. Uh, I've done a lot of mediations, and I can't believe a lawyer, particularly uh, from a company the size of CBS, would do that uh, without at least running that past your litigation team to see what they think. But that may point to the larger cultural issue, which you've identified, that um, they don't see this as harassment. They didn't see it as harassment, period. And that they uh, they thought it was just whether it's boys being boys, whether it's a star being a star, or whether that's just the way things are at CBS. Uh, but uh, there are really two problems uh, that I think you've identified that, that both need to be addressed by CBS. Well, I, I would almost say that there are two different forces that are amplifying each other to put the large organization of CBS in a position it it no longer wants to be in, in the modern world. Um, you know, like really when you get down to it, uh, all that uh, the chief compliance officer Engstrom was trying to do was he was trying to put the interests of some CBS stakeholders. That would be Les Moonves and management. He was trying to resolve an issue to their satisfaction, but their satisfaction would be hush this up, make this go away. 9.5 million, fine, whatever. Uh, it is worth noting that as all of this was happening, Les Moonves was trying to uh, execute a big merger with CBS and Viacom. The merger did not actually go through, but this was a huge merger. Michael Weatherly was a big star. Bull was going to be a big part of the show. And now suddenly we have this perhaps even legitimate incident and I say that more from the perspective of Les Moonves. It's like, and now I got to deal with this too. What do we have to pay her to make her go away? 9.5, done, whatever, it's done. Like all that Engstrom was trying to do was placate those stakeholders of CBS over the interests of others who were stakeholders in CBS, employees who do not want to work and should not have to work in harassing conditions, and consumers who are watching the, the TV programs that generally they don't want to support a 
gross organization either that is you know rampant with this culture of harassment. They wouldn't like it. Well, those are two different constituencies with two different interests, and Engstrom picked one. Now, as I said, if you're a corporate lawyer, I would even allow it that, okay, you're going to pick that. But an ethics and compliance officer isn't going to pick that. An ethics and compliance officer is going to say, as corny as it sounds, we have to be a good company. We have to be ethical. We want a speak-up culture. We're going to have to do this, and we're going to have to admit that this is wrong, even if we have to take a hit, even if that means we're going to put uh, jeopardize our star and our big show and possibly even a merger. The right thing to do is to have a speak-up culture that allows these conversations to happen. That's what an ethics and compliance officer would say. A lawyer would say, I work for the CEO, I work for the company, it's in our interest to hush this up so everything else can go on as as planned. And those are the tensions there. And I just I think that Mark Engstrom, maybe he did make a mistake by releasing those outtakes, but I also think that he he was in a, a position that is no longer tenable for modern ethics and compliance, because a huge swath of the workforce, they do care about ethics and uh, compliance quite a bit. They do think about harassment and poor corporate culture, and they have a lot of power to organize and out somebody who is a harasser and bring that person down. I would almost say that their interests and their ability to argue their case is so strong that the company's interest isn't pleasing them. And if the CEO doesn't like it because he or she is in the midst of some sort of harassment inquiry or retaliation inquiry, too bad because the organization is bigger and there are other interests now that can really hold the organization's feet to the fire in ways that you couldn't have done 20 or 30 years ago. That's why I think, you know, why is Me Too boiling up so much right now? Why not 20 or 30 years ago? Because it's easier for people to organize and hold companies accountable. So therefore, the company should be listening to those organizations more. And uh, thats I don't think that's what was happening with CBS. And look at where they are. So I guess on the last point you raised, Matt, I, I would say that we could not have had Me Too 20 or 25 years ago because we had to start with Anita Hill. Yep. And uh, certainly from my perspective, she started the conversation about what is harassment, what's appropriate, how can uh, we stop this type of behavior. What troubles me is that in that conversation that we have had for those past 25 years in uh, every nook, corner and cranny of America from um, people having a drink at a pub to uh, corporate boardrooms, that conversation did not seem to have occurred at CBS at all. Um, And this um, Engstrom's conduct appears to be absolutely consistent with the culture that he was supporting as uh, in the general counsel's office. So, you know, coming from Texas and the energy industry, it's, I find it hard to believe that there are um, corporations uh, more in the dinosaur era um, than my beloved industry, but it sure seems like at CBS, uh, they never heard of Anita Hill and they never heard of those conversations going forward. You know, it, it's worth noting that, um, the people who had complained to me over the weekend uh, and, you know, c- compliance officers call me up on a regular basis to shoot the breeze. Do you see this? Do you see that? This was different that I had a flurry of compliance officers emailing me or t- tweeting to me saying, did you see this? This is unbelievable. This is an outrage. All of them who said it were women and all of them who said it were uh, definitely a generation younger than 
Engstrom, who my best guess is he's in his mid-60s. Now, you can certainly be an ethically aware male in your mid-60s, but what stood out to me is it really, it drove home the sort of perception that there's this whole new generation of compliance officers. And these were successful female compliance officers coming to me saying, I can't believe that this sort of thing would still be going on. This is, this is a shameful thing that a compliance officer would ever do. And I couldn't tell if they were somewhat mad because this was a bonehead mistake of sharing outtakes that actually have the evidence against you on them. Or you thought that trying to discredit a witness rather than get to the bottom of the substance of a complaint. Like, I, I don't know exactly what they were upset about, but there is a whole generation of compliance officers and employees generally who are going to be running the show in another 10 or 15 years. And all of them are not going to stand for this kind of baloney that was happening at CBS. And I mean, look, it happens when you merge ethics and compliance in legal. And when you subordinate your moral culture Two, what are the legal liability concerns we have and how do we reduce them? When you have that sort of tension existing, you're going to get difficult situations like this. I mean, this is the one we're talking about today because it's CBS's turn. There's going to be other cases, and we've talked about them before probably, about how legal and ethics are related. They need to work well together, but they are not the same thing. And there will be occasions when their interests are opposed to each other. And this seemed to be one of those occasions to me. Well, Matt, it was a fascinating exploration of uh, what I think are uh, several important and significant lessons to be learned for the compliance practitioner. Uh, as I said, uh, starting with culture, but also in the, struct uh, the structure of your compliance function and, and frankly, how you, um, a compliance officer must put culture above the legal ramifications. And by doing so, uh, not only or communicates to the entire workforce the values of the company, but they have to live them going forward. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Compliance Into the Weeds will be taking off next week for Boxing Day, but we will return on January 2nd. I would like to take this opportunity to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and have a safe travels if you are traveling somewhere. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.